The Senate Armed Services Committee reported out its version of the 2022 defense authorization bill last week. The legislation has some historic changes and a bit of a plus-up for the Defense Department. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni joins me now with the latest. Scott, let's begin with how the funding authorized under the NDAA, as it looks at this point anyway, differs from what the administration has requested for 2022. Well, if you remember back when the Biden administration originally put out their uh, budget request, it was $715 billion for the Defense Department. Uh, it was a little bit more once you added in everything for that the military itself. Uh, the Senate Armed Services Committee, which is a Democratic majority, wanted wanted to uh, increase that budget and it is stuffing in an extra $35 billion. So the Pentagon itself will get $740 billion if this authorization bill goes through and the military spending will get nearly to $778 billion. So quite a a big increase. Now, where that money is going uh, is where you would expect it to go. A lot of locality kind of stuff, a lot of parochial interest in this. Uh, It funds a variety of accounts that increase the capacity of the military. They're spending billions of dollars to procure more aircraft like F-35, to restore ships for the Navy and build new ships, uh, building up shipyards, all that sort of stuff. Uh, A lot of stuff to create jobs in districts. Uh, One of the other things that they're doing is they're hampering the Defense Department's attempt to save $2.8 billion by divesting in legacy systems. The legislation prohibits the Pentagon from reducing A-10s or C-130 fleets, which is something that they wanted to do this year. Sounds like the ghost of Scoop Jackson still walks the Senate and has some influence over the Democrats there. Interesting. But again, it's way apart from what the House Armed Services Committee envisions, correct? Well, we haven't heard that what the House Armed Services Committee has yet. So uh, this is just the, the Senate that we have so far. And then we're comparing that to the uh, the president's budget. Now, there is a, a few things in there that do push the actual capabilities of the military as well. There's an extra $500 million for DARPA. Uh, there's another $268 million for cybersecurity efforts and a billion dollars to increase things like space programs, microelectronics, and various R&D programs. So, you know, this isn't just uh, padding the pockets of a lot of uh, local and state kind of people, sure. but also goes into really actually uh, bolstering the Defense Department itself as well. All right. So that's the Senate. And we'll see what the House has to say about all of that. And on the policy parts of the NDAA, this sexual assault legislation, how that's adjudicated by or not by the military. You've been doing a lot of reporting on that. What's the Senate Armed Services Committee saying about that in the NDAA? Well, it seems like they're adopting everything that was in Kirsten Gillibrand's bill. She's the senator from uh, New York and also the chair of the personnel subcommittee within the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, And what that does is it creates special victims units for sex crimes. It takes sex crimes out of the uh, military chain of command. But this also takes out other non-military crimes like murder, larceny, uh, things like that as well. Something that not a lot of people expected, actually. They expected this to get watered down just to seven different crimes that were related to sex crimes. But this seems like they're putting everything in there against the wishes of the Defense Department at this point. Now, Senator Tim Kaine, who's on the Senate Armed Services Committee, said that right now they just have a conceptual formulation of what's going to be in there. And they're trying to sandpaper down everything for when it will actually hit the floor. So still something to keep an eye on and also definitely keep an eye on in the House as well. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Massioni. What other policy objectives are in the Senate version so far? 
Well, there's a 2.7% increase in military pay for service members. Uh, there's a lot of, of really uh, more forward-thinking personnel issues right now. So the service members get two weeks of paid bereavement leave after a death in the family. And also it increases parental leave to 12 weeks. This bill also creates a basic needs allowance for service members. And this is something that was kind of new this year. Um, it's almost like a basic universal income for certain um, uh, military military service members. And that came out of the some reports that, that were out this year by private entities saying that there was a lot of military hunger in the lower enlisted ranks. There were families that really couldn't pay for the food that they needed for their families. So this would give them much like BAH for housing, some money for food and other utilities and things like that. One other thing to note is that the uh, selective service will now include women. Women will be have the opportunity to be draft, drafted and have to sign up to be in the selective service once they turn 18. And then finally, this legislation creates parity for special pays and for incentive pays between reserve and active components. If you remember, that's something that's really been an issue for quite a few years. Uh, just really strange things in the law that kept people from doing the same jobs. Let's say you're out fighting a wildfire and you're on active duty versus being in reserve duty, well, you wouldn't get paid the exact amount even though you're doing the same job. This would take care of a lot of those issues. All right. So a busy bill, busy packed activity ahead on all of this. What about cybersecurity? That's got to be in there somewhere too. It certainly is. And like I said, they're putting more than a quarter of a billion dollars in for cybersecurity from what the uh, military already had requested. Uh, The committee is also requiring the development of a joint zero trust strategy and model architecture for the Defense Department information network. So, you know, one thing as 5G becomes bigger, they want more of this uh, zero trust sort of uh, architecture and things. It also wants a data management strategy from the Defense Department. Uh, They want to look into how to do public private partnerships with the internet ecosystem companies to discover and disrupt malicious cyber actors. So really just working more on how private industry and government can work together to stop uh, really a lot of these hackers and the things that have been going on, especially when it comes to ransomware. Federal News Network Scott Mossioni, thanks so much. Thank you. Be sure to check out his article all about the Senate version of the NDAA. It's at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, 
And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, 
his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zell. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.